Welcome to the Modern Masculinity Podcast, where we delve into the depths of what it means to be a man in today's world, and we explore the real-life challenges and triumphs that you and I face every single day. My name is Hector Santi Esteban, and I come with no answers, only questions for some of the most wise, insightful, and grounded men that I know. So get settled in. You're listening to Modern Masculinity. Fellas, what's going on? I hope this episode finds you well. I hope this episode leaves you better than when you found it. Today's episode is with G.S. Youngblood, and not only does he have just a great name, but he also wrote an incredible book. And it was something that really came in handy for me because I've talked a lot about this concept or this idea of being the nice guy or the people pleaser. And there was a book called No More Mr. Nice Guy, I think is what it's called. And I remember hearing that early on and thinking like, oh, how simpish that someone would have to read a book like that, frankly, is what I thought. Like, how ridiculous that is. There's no way that I'm that guy, that I'm the nice guy. As I started to reflect and as I started to really look at the challenges that were going on in my own life, relationships, and whatever it was, it usually came down to this kind of people-pleasing mentality especially in my relationship. This book, after reading it, I was like, Jesus Christ. It was so eye-opening for me. The challenge, though, with that book is that it's hard to do, right, in one book, because it might be a thousand-page book if you put everything in there, but it didn't necessarily tell you, well, okay, if you don't want to be the nice guy, how do you do it without being the asshole? Because I think that was the biggest concern or biggest fear that I had, if you will, was I knew I wasn't an asshole. I didn't want to be an asshole, so how do I compensate for that? Well, I swing so far the other way. And with GS, we talk about what does that look like? How does someone embody their masculinity in a relationship? That's really what his book is about. And so it's a really cool conversation. I was honored that GS decided that the modern masculinity tribe was worth coming on, but it's a really good conversation with a lot of good takeaways. So let me get out of your way here and let's get into today's episode with GS Youngblood. Thank you for being here on the Modern Masculinity Show. How are you, my man? I'm doing great, Hector. Thanks for having me on. I should have asked before, how did you decide that you were going to go by like your initials? I had this weird thing growing up with my name and stuff. Before we get into the guy stuff, I'm curious how that emerged. Was that just your pet name or what was the origin story of that? Yeah, it's a separation of personas, a separation of parts of my life. It's not much more complicated than that. Yeah, I love it. So great. But take us into your world. We always like to ask our guests to share what's real for them as a man, a partner, a provider, a business owner, an author, whatever's real and pertinent or prescient for you. We'd mm -hmm. love to hear about some challenges that are, are current for you. Mm, I think for me, the challenge is just a balance of time running a business and trying to be a father and trying to be a good partner for my life partner can get hard. I get really focused on things. And when I do that, I lose that relational aspect of it, which is what I teach. And so even I can be affected by the ways that I can fixate on a task and then lose touch with the things that are peripheral in my life. For instance, my girlfriend. So I think that for me, it's just me having my hand on that. I don't know if it's the throttle or the joystick or the gear shift, but I want to be able to shift in and out of these modes of fixation and focus and productivity and then be able to quickly pull myself out when necessary back to being relational. And I think that's one of the challenges for men is to be able to have hyper focus to get shit done, but then pull out and be relational. I know in my life, I haven't always done that as well as I wanted to. Do you think that's a universal, maybe not a universal, but a common thing that 
let's just compartmentalize it to guys here because I see that a lot of guys in their 20s, they like you said, they turn it on and they're burning it at all, all hours or however the saying goes. But then the partner or the wife comes around, the kids come around and they've got to be able to adjust. And if I'm being honest and transparent, I went back the other way too hard where I was spending a lot of time with the kids and I was being there, but almost at the expense of these other things and the expense of my own bucket, my own cup and at the expense of my business. And, you know, Mm -hmm. I was really listening to those. They're only young once and, you know, you only get 18 summers and all the time is precious. I got lost in both of that. Is that something else that you hear though or come across? Well, it's the same dynamic. It's how do I balance both? And I think that when we focus too much on work, we're more in kind of a denial of her experience or the experience of your kids or your wife. I think when we're, like you said, paying too much attention to them that we're not actually structuring our own selves. And we can have a little bit of a blame mentality. I'm not saying you did, but I I think it's common to have a little bit of blame mentality of like, I can't get anything done because she always wants my attention or these kids always want my attention. It's up to the man to create the structure in his life and to create the spaciousness in his life to really be able to handle both. And you can't blame it on anybody else. Yeah, because it turns into resentment is what it is. Or like you said, blaming and excuse making, which is all it really is. You talked about spaciousness and then also structure. We're going to get into the book. And guys, as, as much as I hate to be a plug for someone's book all the time, it's a fantastic book that came along at the perfect moment for me. And I couldn't recommend it more for anybody whose conversation that this is resonating with them. But talk to us about those two ideas and structure and spaciousness. At least structure is a big part of the book, but I'm curious how spaciousness comes into play as well. There's two types of spaciousness. One is more internal, you know, and do I have the capacity to handle life's challenges as they come? And I know at times I didn't have the capacity and then everything would set me off because I didn't have the inner spaciousness. It was kind of when my kids were little and it was very hard. Then there's outer spaciousness. Am I cutting out the things that are not essential so that I have space for the things that are essential. And I think for me, when I wrote my first book, this was actually my second book, but I wrote a business book in 2009. I published it. To get that done, I had three little kids at the time. I had to get up at 5 a.m. and be at my computer. Usually I'd try to go off to the Starbucks that open at some ungodly early hour. And I would write for an hour or an hour and a half. That's what I had to do. And to do that, I had to go to bed early enough. And to do that, I had to cut out that time that I often would spend in my bed just fiddling around on my phone. I had to really get very disciplined about cutting that out so that I could create the spaciousness for something that I purportedly claimed was a higher priority, which was finishing that book. And so I think that's where we get in trouble. We don't set the priorities for ourselves. And therein lies the structure. I had to come to the hard realization that fiddling on my phone at night, which made me go to bed a half hour later, means I get up a half hour later and then I have less time to do my writing. So that was structure in my life that I had to create. And I couldn't blame that on my wife needing too much of my time or my kids needing too much of my attention. I had to create that structure to create the spaciousness in my life myself. Yeah. I feel like, at least for me personally, and I know that there's a lot of guys that can resonate with it, is the fear of rocking the boat, right? Or the Mm -hmm. fear with our partners. But then also, I think that's just a tendency for me is like, 
what's that going to do to the rhythm? And all of a sudden the kids and in my head, I'm playing out all of the ripples that come from making a decision like that. But I think to your point, the other side is, I don't know what concept you took about it in the book, but basically like a willingness to stand up for yourself. And I think maybe that's on the other side of it, or if there's a lack of it, that that's what's not being honored. Mm-hmm. Is there something there? <laughs> Absolutely. I think you could say not standing up for yourself, but I just think of it as we don't speak our needs all the time. I'll give an example. Back when I was married way back when, I was working a corporate job. And so I needed to go to the gym. And we had three little kids. My wife was at home. And I would just go to the gym and not tell her. And then I'd be like, yeah, I had to work late. And I would totally tell a little white lie about it. And then when she found out, of course, she was quite upset. What I needed to do was say, look, baby, I need to go to the gym. I sit at a desk all day long and do computer work. It's an, I'm a knowledge worker. I've got to move my body. Otherwise, I'm going to go crazy. I need to go two nights a week. Let's work together to figure out how to make that happen. So it's you speaking your needs and then offering to wrap in her needs as well and be a mature adult where you talk about it and come to some agreement. Now, it's always possible. She would say, no, you cannot. Then you have to do stand up for yourself and be like, baby, I'm real sorry, but I am going to go to the gym and I'm willing to work with you to make that as doable as possible. So it really comes down to men speaking their needs in a really sincere way. If your needs are, you know, I need to go to a strip club twice a week. That's not a real need. But if you've got a need that it's like, I need to move my body since I sit at a desk all day long. That's a sincere need that you should feel brave enough to bring to the table and have an adult discussion about it. Yeah. One of the things, and I've talked about it a bit on the show, is the people-pleasing mentality or the Mr. Nice Guy kind of syndrome. And what was interesting mm-hmm. is I read that book right before yours. And I think Dr. Glover wrote the intro or he did something for your book. So when I saw the two connected, I felt like the universe was winking at me and saying that. Because I left that book and I said, okay, I know that this is there. But what you really provided was the manual to overcome that. Dr. Glover's yeah. book was an incredible awareness piece. And you really provided the frameworks for how to kind of move out of that. And at least for me, and I know that there's a lot of guys and a lot of friends my age who have that Mr. Nice Guy programming, and they don't even know it. They don't even realize it. It's so prevalent and common and perhaps insidious. Just hearing that was a big wake-up call for me because I thought I was being the nice guy and that that was actually helping the relationship. Yeah. Yeah. Dr. Glover's book, it's the entree for most men I know because it's the most accessible book on the topic that I've read. I share that viewpoint that you laid out. It's a great place to start because it wakes a lot of guys up. He has woken up so many guys to their nice guy behavior. And that's why I wanted him to write the forward for the book because he really gets the kind of work that I'm doing as well. Well, listening to you on the other shows, you really create a model, if you will, for what the alternative is. Another theme that's come up on this show is that the ideal guy, it was the alpha male, it was Arnold Schwarzenegger, Rambo, the violent, aggressive, aggro, there was that version. Or later on, it developed in media, turned it into Homer Simpson, Tim Allen, family guy type character. And so I grew up in the 90s, but that time period, there was very little examples of what it was to be a man or or a good father. So guys grew up, I don't know, really lost and aimless. Hearing that context to it, how does your philosophy or mindset, because I think it fits really well. And is that something you've been conscious of and aware of? Or when you hear some of those things, how does that resonate with what you teach and what the kind of the book talks about? Well, the dynamic is one similar to in our political system where extremism on one side creates extremism on the other as a reaction to it. And I think the rise of the Andrew Tates of the world 
are really in reaction to the neutralization of the American male in media. And I think you described it perfectly. It's the Homer Simpson. You often see this. It's sort of the hapless male with a strong female in these characterizations in the media. I love the portrayal of the strong female, but let's just get a strong male in there and give an example for our young people to follow. Here's my definition of the ideal male really any masculine being. So it doesn't matter what gender you are, but as somebody who wants to be in their masculine, what's the ideal archetype? Strong, upright, and grounded within themselves and skillful in the relational space between self and other. That's what I'm teaching. I talk about relational masculinity a lot. It's having both those skill sets. And quite frankly, it's actually rare to have both those. If you're relational, it often also means you're kind of a wuss and you're like very focused on the other. But what if we could forge and we can, and that's what we're doing right now with the the kind of work that I'm doing. Other people are doing it as well. But how do you get grounded within yourself, which means you're not reactive, but you're grounded and still you have clarity within yourself about what you want, what you need, what other people need, what's called for in the moment. And you provide that structure, that ordering force to the world around you. And you protect those around you, which is to create safety. So I just described the blueprint. And at the same time, you're really good at relational dynamics. And that's the ideal man, in my view. And I wish there were more portrayals of that in popular media. I probably should start watching more shows and try to find an archetype that's out there. I haven't yet. I'm sure there is. I'm sure it's portrayed. Every time I mention that, someone says, oh, what about the dad in Modern Family? Parent tends to echo some of these things, but they're not as prevalent. And perhaps that's an effect of our (laughs) lack of pushing away of media. You talked about the blueprint, though. Let's get into that, because I think it would be great to go through that a little bit. And there there are essentially three parts to it. So I'd love for you to break it down, however that might be. And I would love for you to frame it with the context that I think a lot of men have these strong, independent women, and they want to see them win. They want them to succeed, but they just don't know how to thrive alongside that. Yeah, we're talking about the masculine blueprint here, and it's what I organized the book around. Also, there's an online course based on the book, and I organized it in the exact same way so that it would feel very familiar. It has three elements, as you said. Number one is respond versus react. So this is the quality of a man who he's grounded within himself. There is a certain stillness in his way of being. There is definitely a choicefulness. He doesn't just kind of pop off, but he actually chooses how he's going to be in every given moment. So the way the guy moves, the way the guy speaks, the way the guy gestures, all these things just feel very chosen because there's a little bit of space there between stimulus and response, as Viktor Frankl would say. This kind of guy has this grounded nervous system and that groundedness actually transmits to other people's nervous systems around and makes them actually feel more calm. So when you're grounded, you actually can co-regulate your partner's nervous system as well. So it's a very powerful way of being. The ways that I talk about to achieve it are one, to recognize the impact of trauma in your life, to recognize the impact of anxiety and how that causes you to act in a certain way. But the thing I talk about most to achieve this state of groundedness is embodiment practice, daily embodiment practice. And it's the number one thing you can do to to build your masculine core, bar none, if you ask me. You got to have a daily practice. That's why I wrote my second book on it. So The Art of Embodiment is my second book, which is all about embodiment, obviously. And then I did a companion online course for that as well. So the guys say, gosh, you give me one thing to do. I say, create and maintain a daily embodiment practice to help ground your nervous system. Because what that means is that you can start to live out of choice from moment to moment, rather than out of reactivity, rather than out of habituation, rather than out of self-protection, 
but rather out of choice and intention. So that's element one, respond versus react. And I'll pause there if you want to say anything before I move on to the next one. Yeah, I'd love to just explore your thoughts because I think the poll, right, on the other side of that is, in both ways, I guess, is guys who either numb out and they do that through a variety of ways, porn, drugs, a variety of ways, or the suppression of emotions. I think that's a big thing that my generation, which is mainly like the millennial-esque generation, is we weren't taught how to work with and deal with our, I don't even know if deal with is the right word, but work with and manage our emotions so that we can regulate our nervous system. So those are the ways that it spills out in the holes or in the negative sense. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And you talked about emotions. A chapter, I think it's chapter nine, is all about emotions and how can a man look at his emotions? Not a feminine model of emotions, but what's a masculine model of understanding, being with, and then communicating your emotions. And so I go through all that in chapter nine. A lot of it has to come down to training your nervous system to be with intensity. And I do that first through a physical path. So I teach uh, intensity exercises that create some physical intensity in your body. And you practice being with that and opening to it in the practice itself. From that place, it maps over directly in your capacity to be with emotional intensity or relational intensity. And so that's the path that I teach the men is really you got to build your capacity to be with intensity. And once you do that, you'll be able to be with the emotional intensity and the relational intensity that comes from being connected to other people. It's the human condition. And is that as simple as a cold plunge? Or do you think that there's more than just doing a, a cold plunge every morning? A cold plunge is a great example of it. And there's others that you can do. Do multimodal practice, of course. Mm-hmm. What is the second element? The second element is provide structure. So this is the quality of a man who, first and foremost, has clarity inside himself about what he wants, what he needs, what the world needs, what the moment needs, what she needs. And he's able to synthesize all that and come up with a direction, structure, some kind of order to the disorder. I mean, the Life is about disorder, and those who can impose their will on disorder and forge some kind of directionality is a big part of a masculine core. And so I'm trying to get guys to build what I call directional energy. It's a bias towards, okay, what's next? How do we move this forward? How do we clarify things? And that's the energy that I try to work with men to embody more of. And look, our women love this. They don't want to be told what to do. They don't want to be domineered by us. But they do want to be able to rely on our masculine leadership, our masculine direction at times. And they, at times, they want to surrender to our lead. They want us to stroll in and say, baby, I got this. Here's what we're going to do. They don't always want that, but there are times that they do. And any man that can bring that level of clarity and directional energy is a uniquely attractive man. I'm just going to let that sit in the air for a second. You're uniquely attractive when you can take charge once in a while whether it be where you're going to go on vacations or in the bedroom. I mean, I, <laughs> I hear that from so many of the women who are partners of my clients. And it's just like, oh my God, will you just take charge in the bedroom once in a while? And a lot of women are dying for that. Not all, but a lot. We talk a lot about context on the show, but I think it comes back to this programming or when I do a lot of reflection on where my relationship and marriage got to and, and why I kind of doing the things that I was doing. I think a lot of, once again, guys my age, millennials, everything was really laid out for them in terms of school, the structure, you were kind of told what to do. And all of a sudden you get to manhood, you get to life. And now you're not only deciding, like you said, the direction for your own life, but then you have to be able to cast a vision and a direction 
for your family and for your partner. And the thing that I see is that the women, I think the term is like high value women, whatever that means, they're going to want a guy who has this directional energy. I saw it in myself that I was looking around and looking to her going, look, where do you want to eat? What do you want to do? What should we do? And thinking that that's what she wanted and not realizing that was just kind of eating up the relationship, frankly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's so true. We get lazy as guys and we get scared as guys. So when we get either of those things, we start to abdicate and they hate it when we abdicate. It's, again, needing to develop that directional energy, that bias inside the man. It's where he naturally kind of tends towards is a bias towards forward action or towards clarity. You mentioned like embodiment practices for the first element, if you will. Is there a practice for this directional aspect or for this structure that you're talking about? One of the ways that I do that is through command practice. I'll do that at most of my workshops, giving the men different ways to cultivate a command presence and the ability to give external direction and express very clearly and powerfully. That's one of the things I do in all the workshops that I teach. Going back to what you said about the, I think that's a whole chapter. It's called like sexual leadership. Mm -hmm. What does that concept even mean? I think that's so foreign. And you hear these stats where something like 50% or I don't know, it might even be higher. I don't remember the number. It was obscene amount of number of guys are afraid to even approach a woman because they're going to look some certain way. And I don't remember what the adjective, but it was essentially saying that guys are afraid to approach women and it's a really big amount. So I think if you can extrapolate that to the bedroom, that same kind of thing is happening where, like you said, we're either afraid or lazy. How might that sexual leadership look, if you will? Yeah, most guys in relationship are waiting for her to get in the mood and to give overt signs that she's in the mood. They wait, they're passive. They're afraid to enter into that territory. What they don't realize is they can actually create the conditions for arousal to arise, arise from where it's not initially. You can do that in a lot of different ways. There's a lot of different components to it. You could express your desire to your partner. It could either be, I would love for us to be physical tonight, baby. And you can actually schedule some time for the two of you to be physical. And a lot of people are like, scheduled sex? What are you talking about? I love scheduled sex. Because it just says, okay, baby, at seven o'clock, we're going to get in bed together for an hour. And it allows both parties to kind of get their worldly concerns taken care of and get them out of their minds so they can open up to sensuality or sexuality. And so I think scheduled sex is a great thing. Not, not like every Thursday. It's more of a in the day spontaneous, like tonight, after we get back from our walk, I'd love to spend an hour in bed before we go to dinner. So there's creating some structure around sexuality. There's expressions of desire where you're whispering, like, I want you so bad in your woman's ear. You're giving her verbal stimulation of her mind. That's one way to do that, that you can lead. And then setting up the bedroom. You know, you could set up the bedroom with candles and music and create the environmentals that might give rise to more arousal and turn on in your woman, even where it doesn't exist in the moment. And then when sexuality starts this is still under the umbrella of sexual leadership, leading the action from moment to moment. That could be as simple as changing positions and you be the one that initiates changing positions. You be the one that initiates in general and just leading the action from moment to moment like you know what you're doing and like you're confident and like you know what you want, which are all elements of this. Those are all pieces of sexual leadership. And so again, it's a bias towards action. It's a bias towards leading that I want to cultivate men and then you can bring it into the bedroom. A lot of this has to do with knowing what you want 
And another big piece of this is being attuned to what works for her. If you try to, I don't know, you try to be Mr. Dominant and force her down on her knees, but for some reason that's actually pretty abhorrent to her, you're not very attuned to your woman. So knowing what she likes, knowing what she doesn't like, knowing what offends her, knowing what would be a good match for her level of arousal in this moment, which might be different five minutes from now, but noticing how she is in the moment, that's attunement, which is all part of something you need to have well-developed as a sexual leader. Because if you're leading and then something's hurting her or something's pissing her off and you're not noticing, that's a real problem. So attunement is a big part of this. So I just gave you a grab bag of a bunch of different things that are all elements of sexual leadership. And I'll just pause there for a second and let you comment on that. Yeah, well, they're all connecting, right? I mean, that attunement part goes back to the embodiment part. It's hard to be attuned if you're all in your head or your nervous system is fried or you're overreacting. Yeah. Things. So yeah, true. Fantastic. I did want to expand on the sexual leadership topic more than just what was in the book in chapter 13. And so I've got a whole module on it in the Art of Relational Masculinity online course that I've got. So guys that want to go into that topic, that's where you can go even deeper. Mm. Let's get into the last element, which is create safety. And there's a few components to that, but I'd love for you to just talk about what that means. Yeah. We're talking about physical, financial, and emotional safety. In the book, I mostly talk about emotional safety. In my view, there is not a bigger determinant of how open your woman is to you than how much trust and safety she feels. She has to feel trusting. She has to feel safe. And I'll give you an example. When she is hurting over something and complains to you and you get defensive, that makes her feel very unsafe because it feels like she's not allowed to have her own experience and just speak what she's actually feeling in the moment. Now, what she's feeling could come out toxically and often we react to that, could come out lovingly. But, you know, when you get defensive and try to talk her out of feeling how she actually does feel, it creates a lot of unsafety in her. And so I talk a lot to guys about how they can help their woman feel more safe. And a lot of it has to do with how do you handle her when she's fired up and when she's upset? You know, if you're with a fiery woman, that tends to happen a lot. And you can either go to that on one of two roads in that you sit at that, what I call the magic moment when she's upset and kind of throwing some energy your way. You can go down self-protection, defensiveness, trying to talk her out of it, trying to defend yourself, or you can go the other path. And chapter 14 lays out what the other path is. And I talk about empathy. I talk about how to build emotional resonance with her. Uh, I talk about how to bring humor in. I talk about how to set boundaries because sometimes you need to set the boundaries and when she's all fired up. So I talk about all the different options that you can do to handle her intense emotions. When you get skilled at this, she's going to feel much more emotionally safe with you. And therefore, she's going to be more open to you. She's going to be less critical and everything's going to get a lot better. This is one of the biggest skills that I try to teach men is how to create emotional safety. And again, I know I keep saying this, but module three of this online course that I was telling you about is about how to build a lot of emotional connection and emotional safety in a relationship. So we, we go into that in depth. Yeah. It's kind of an internet trope now that guys are just sitting there trying to fix things. You see it on these relationship reels or TikToks or whatever. That, that's exactly what you're saying is guys are sitting there trying to fix things, thinking that they're helping when really they're just literally destroying the emotional safety that they're <laughs> Yeah, it's true. Yeah, we men, we work logically and informationally. Women work with emotion and energetics. If you want to go visit Greece and just try to speak English to everybody and just speak it louder when they don't understand you, great, knock yourself out. You're going to be very unsuccessful. 
Same thing. If you speak the language of information with your woman when she's emotional, it's the same fucking thing. She's not going to understand you and it's just going to get worse. And then you're going to complain and say that she's crazy. Well, I might tell you, I actually think you're being pretty unskillful. There's a way to handle her emotion without pandering, by the way, without giving in, without folding like a, you know, a wuss. Like we're not talking about any of that. We're talking about skillfully handling her where you could bring her out of it like that. A lot of it has to do with emotional resonance and we can get into that if you want, but you got to speak the language of her if you want to communicate with her. Otherwise, just hang out with your dude friends. Don't try to have a relationship with a woman if you're not going to speak the language of it. No, I would encourage guys to go in and, and hop into some of these courses because this sounds like stuff that we all need. So we'll link that up in the show notes. I'm curious about this financial security uh, and I'd love to get your thoughts with the context of women are making more money than men. We had a whole episode with Brian Page from Modern Husbands where he's like, this is what his show is about, is helping men to be able to cope with that reality, but to be able to navigate that reality where for 86, 95% of my relationship, I earned more than my wife and things were fine. And the moment that her salary went above mine, things changed immediately. It was just a weird dynamic thing. So there's just so many things that are interplaying. I'm curious your thoughts on this and advice to how men can better handle the situation. I'll respond to your scenario where she makes more than him. If your woman makes more than you, you better compensate for it by bringing much more directional energy and masculine leadership into the relationship. You have to be bigger energetically. I'd say it's the same as if she's taller. It's the same dynamic. If she's taller, whether you like it or not, the reality is there's a natural power imbalance that comes from that. Now you're standing in a hole, so to speak, and you're going to have to really be that much bigger energetically in the relationship. So you've got to bring more of the blueprint. You've got to bring more masculine leadership. And that type of energy, if you are shorter than your woman or if you make less than your woman. And you can get philosophical about it, but to me, this is really what it comes down to. You better bring more masculine leadership into the relationship through other means. I'll give you an example. I have a friend who had been in some of the same men's works programs with me years back when I was taking part as a participant and good guy, but he really wanted to be a filmmaker and a coach. He used to be, I think he was a web designer and he fell out of love with that and he wanted to be a filmmaker and a coach and he kept at it and trying hard and spending his time and money and he wasn't making enough money. And he would share these stories. And at some point, she's like, what the fuck are you doing? When are you going to make more money? You're not showing up for me. And he was stubbornly keeping with his dream because he had these like, oh, I've got to follow my dreams kind of thing. And she was progressively losing trust in him. And he was a good guy otherwise, but she was progressively losing trust in him. He needed to get his shit together. I mean, I wouldn't try to condemn any man to something he hates, but there's Maslow's hierarchy here. And you got to subjugate what you hate to what it takes to keep the lights on, keep your family safe and keep her feeling safe as well. So that's something that men have to navigate. I would have recommended to him that he find the time to really be able to have his day job and then do his coaching and his filmmaking on the side until he was reasonably assured that it would be revenue generating. But he kept at it for a few years and really, really eroded the trust in that relationship because he wasn't creating financial safety for his woman. Yeah, it's real. The other thing, and it's interesting what's in the culture, there's this song and part of the chorus, and it's terrible that my four-year-old daughter knows how to sing it, but part of it says, I don't need a man, I need a puppy. The ethos of the song is that strong, independent women don't need men. 
I throw that out there because I think it's important for guys to know kind of what they're up against. But I'm curious to get your thoughts on that and if that makes it more challenging or if that's just kind of echoes a little bit more about what you're saying. My reaction to that is I'm speaking a little bit more in the generic. It's not just necessarily me. It's just like, I don't care if they need me or not. I'm going to become the man that she can't live without. My woman doesn't need me. I mean, emotionally, she needs me because we're obviously attached to each other. But she doesn't need me for any other reason. If I disappeared tomorrow, other than the emotion of it, she'd be fine. I want to be the man that she cannot live without. So I'd say there's no manifest destiny here, guys. You got to earn it. And if you want a good woman, like somebody who lights you up, you better fucking bring it. You better earn it. Not because you're a supplicant, but because you want to spend your life with a pretty exciting woman. You can find a wallflower to spend your life with, but you're going to be bored in a year. And that's going to have its own kind of dark path. You want a woman that excites you. She's going to be a little edgy. She's going to be a little strong. That's how my woman is. I mean, she's incredibly radiant and she's got a sharp tongue when she gets upset. And she has the biggest heart of anybody I've ever met. And probably the most depth of any woman I've ever been with. Well, certainly with any woman that I've been with. And she's exciting and feisty and mischievous, but she's not easy. But I like it. I like it because I want somebody that excites me and it requires me to bring it every day. So that's my response to that. Yeah, I think you just kind of summed up what we had talked about at the beginning, that the women that we want to be with are the ones that are going to require more out of us. Looking out from the outside in, it seems like men are not, if I'm being honest, are not stepping up enough. If we look at you know women and their education and the college rates and the income rates and like all these sorts of macro things that we try and you know figure out why are so many men single? Why are so many people single? Why are so many men depressed and, and dying? These deaths of despair at such a higher rate. What are they suffering from and what is the beast that they're trying to slay? And, and so all these things that you're doing are really, for lack of a terrible term, arming men with the tools and resources to go out and conquer whatever the word we want to use in a world that's frankly changed over the last several years. Yeah, the men are in most trouble who are depressed or who are harming others. They're usually not the guys in fulfilling relationships. They're usually guys that are lonely. So I think loneliness is probably one of the biggest culprits of this. And loneliness is created because you don't have relational skills. It's that simple. Now, there's also powerlessness when you don't have the masculinity skills. So I think powerlessness and loneliness are two of the prime causes of maladaptive behavior in the men you're describing. And that's where I focus my teachings. I want to make them feel grounded in their masculine core and be successful in the relational space between self and other. Yeah. The last thing I want to get your thoughts on here as we kind of round out this conversation, just for my own selfish purposes, is getting your thoughts on this whole, I don't know how much you've paid attention to this Will Smith, Jada Pinkett Smith thing, but it seems like everybody's talking about it and everybody has an opinion on it. And I'm wondering if there's a lesson out there for guys. When you look on that, you know, when you see, is there a lesson that emerges from that? Because I have my own thoughts and opinions, but I'm wondering if you see something that guys can pull from that seemingly crazy story. That's yeah. Here's what I'll say is I, I don't know enough about it to pretend that I do. I'll just comment on my impression. I know like 25% of what's going on, but I feel an energy from Will, who I love as an actor, by the way, and I really respect a lot of things he does, a lot of the films he made, but there's a different energy. There's a pandering energy that I feel that might not match up with facts. I'm just telling you the energetic hit I get. And there's a little bit of that one-itis I mean, especially this fact that they've been separated since 2016 or whatever, and he's still kind of in it. And I get that you can love somebody, and especially if they're the mother of your children, but at some point, at some point you got to realize what's not good for you. 
And I just feel a definite reverse polarity there because he kind of comes with that Fresh Prince energy and then she's all in her like badass stillness. I mean, it's almost like they're perfectly reversed. I also respect what Jada Pinkett Smith does as an actor and I'm sure she's a fine human being, but I wouldn't be attracted to a woman who's got that much stillness and kind of badassness in the way that she does. It would be a reversed polarity and that just wouldn't be very attractive even though she's a very beautiful woman. I think there's a reverse polarity that guys could really notice and learn from how not to go down that road. And there's a bit of a like, oh, my God, I got to make this work somehow. And that one itis that Rolo talks about a lot where you start doing anything, you can't tolerate the thought of losing her, whoever her is. And that's one of the biggest mistakes guys can make is they can't tolerate the thought of losing this person. And so they do all kinds of non-masculine things to make it all better. And none of them will work. Actually, most of them make things worse. So yeah, I have a phrase that I like to say. I put it on my Instagram profile a few months ago. Don't be afraid to lose her. Be unafraid to lose her. And then operate out of love from that perspective. Try to love the hell out of her from that perspective. That could have been the whole episode. We could have saved the last 40 minutes here. This has been fantastic. The book is The Masculine in Relationship. I downloaded it on Kindle. I have it. It's at the top of my library. I believe there's paperback and hardcovers out there available. But I'm excited about these online programs because the book is a great taste. And it seems like you've kind of allowed for that 2.0, 3.0 or to kind of go down the rabbit hole. Talk about where guys can go and find out about that. Yeah, they can just go to my website, gsyoungblood.com. I have two courses. One is based on my second book, The Art of Embodiment. And the other is based on the first book that you mentioned. And it's called The Art of Relational Masculinity. It's my deepest teachings yet. If you liked the book, you're going to like the course because it just takes it that much farther and deeper. So I definitely recommend that. And then hit up my Instagram page to see, just get a hit of the work that I do. And although listening to this, you probably get a good feeling for it, but GS Youngblood M-I-R on Instagram. And I do have a workshop in Sayulita, Mexico. It's March 15th through 17th. And we're going to do some great live work. In fact, I'm bringing in two badass, tall, blonde, awesome, amazing, smart, sharp women to work with the guys as well to help sharpen them up. That sounds fun. That sounds really fun. We'll link all that stuff up in the show notes, guys, so you can check that out there. We appreciate you sticking with us, and we would love a rating or review wherever you get your podcasts. And, and if you know a guy who's going through something or that they could use this info, send this to them. They're probably not asking for it. They probably didn't put Instagram post up saying, can you send me an episode on relational masculinity? But there's probably some guy that's popping into your head right now as I'm talking about it. So send in this episode, and let's grow the tribe together. And we appreciate it as always. We'll see you on the next one. Later, y'all.